before we dive into my interview with Lena Crow, I want to ask if you know a writer who would benefit from this show as much as you are, please share it with them. I make the show for writers who are just on the cusp of publishing their first novel and they want to do so to fame and fortune. Maybe just the same kind of fame and fortune as Lena Crow. Let somebody know this show brings you value. Encourage them to listen to it. And hey, we'll all collaborate together to publish and to find our perfect readership. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Lena Crow. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. So I wrote Sinkhole originally um, for Lilac City Fairy Tales, which is a local, uh, is a, a fundraiser for um, Spark Central, which is, uh, for folks not familiar with Spokane, is a, a community-based arts center. Um, and every year, uh, for a number of years, there were, were fundraisers for them where folks would write um, stories or poems to a prompt, an anthology would be put together, and there would be like a public reading of some of these um, and so I wrote that story um, as part of that and then didn't really expect for it to have a life beyond that, that anthology and event. Um, but then Sharma Shields, another really wonderful Spokane author and the person who is responsible for putting together uh, the Lilac City Fairy Tale anthologies, she was also working at that time for Moss Magazine, which I think is where most people who have read Sinkhole have read it. And she was like, I love the story. Can we publish it in Moss? And I was like, that's great. I would love that. Moss is awesome. If you, um, you've read it, obviously, but like yeah. so many wonderful Northwest writers get published in Moss. It's always, always good. So I was pretty stoked to have it in Moss, um, came out there. And then a few years after that, one of the other editors of Moss, Alex is his name. He got in touch with me and said that he had moved to LA, was trying to find a foothold in Hollywood, um, sort of as an agent producer type person. And he wanted to take some material that was in Moss and shop it around and see if he could sell the rights to it. And um, Sinkhole was one of the pieces that he wanted to take out. And um, I was like, that's great, go for it. Kind of thinking I wasn't ever gonna hear from him again after that, because uh, I've had conversations you know, with folks um, before who have expressed interest in the rights to some of my material and it never really goes anywhere. I think yeah. most writers have, have had these, these experiences, um, but it did. He connected with another agent who ultimately wound up um, getting quite a bit of interest in, in Sinkhole. And then ultimately uh, the rights have been optioned by, by Universal um, in conjunction with Jordan Peele's production company, Monkey Paw. And so they, they have the rights and, or they have the option um, and what they'll end up doing with it is, uh, is yet to be seen, but I'm excited for wherever that goes. So that did really launch my career in this sort of sideways and unexpected way, mm. um, because it's nothing that I would have sought out on my own. I don't know anything about film or television or that yeah. world, um, but here we are. Yeah. So from, from what you can find online right now, it sounds like you are doing some element of writing it for the screen. 
So um, I think the the funny thing about that is right that you've read you've read that I'm an executive producer. Yeah, right. Uh, which makes it sound like I am very involved in the process, but uh, and I didn't know this either. I would have thought the same thing before learning it. Executive producer is actually a term that um, your agent can can bargain for as a way for you to get paid more money. So essentially, what I have is an executive producer fee. If the movie gets made, they will have to pay me more money, <laughs> but. It's mean that I am involved in any way. It's sort of like how um, Elton John is a knight. He's Sir Elton John. <laughs> yeah. He not be called upon to defend the queen. <laughs> it, is, it is a title only. Um, that's what it means when, when you read that I am an executive producer on Sinkhole. Um, well, but yeah, I have, I have no involvement in that process whatsoever. I'm sad that, that Elton John won't be defending the queen either. This is right? all, yeah, it's like oh. double whammy for me right now. A lot of bad news. I'm sorry. Uh, there's a, a huge segment of the writing community that tries to say it's not art. It's not pure if you want to be paid for it. And I, I have a sense that you probably straddle the line on feeling like real art should not be aimed at making money. However, making money's not wrong. But I'd like to hear your thought process on it a little bit. No, I mean, absolutely. If you produce something and you intend for that to be your life's work, you should be paid for it. Art serves a significant function in our society, and it's something that a lot of people do make money from at various stages, and the people who produce it should not be cut out of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to make money from your art, especially because making money from your art is what allows people to make art full time. Um, and, but yeah, there is this, there's this extreme, I agree with you, this extreme discomfort around talking about money and how it works, um, in our, our world. And, um, I think that that's, that's unfortunate because it does make it harder, I think, for people who are like trying to get a foothold, trying to make a career out of this to figure out where the path is. With that in mind, uh, I, I don't want to assume anything about you. Do you intend to make a, a full-time thing out of writing? Is writing what you want your everyday to be and everything that that includes? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about what it's, what it's looked like for me. Um, I've been fortunate in a couple of regards. So uh, it's always been my intention ever since finishing grad school that ideally in a perfect world, I would be a career writer. Um, and after I graduated, I worked as an adjunct instructor, um, teaching writing and literature courses, um, sometimes like pretty much full time, just as many classes as I could get to, you know, um, pay the bills. And that makes it really hard to write. Doing yeah. almost anything full time in addition to having a writing career makes it, you know, very difficult to write. Do you have, do you have full time work? Well, so the, the podcast is my full time. And uh, most I should have guessed that it is like the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Neither of us are at like, like office jobs. Here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and I mean, but that because you asked, no, this is not producing anything for me right now. I have other other means at the moment that are taking care of the bills. And it's a finite amount of time. I just decided to take the leap. Yeah, which good for you, man. That's amazing. Thanks. Thanks yeah. Um, but yeah, like you can't, you know, right? You can't like go to a nine to five and then come home and um, say I'm a full time writer because yeah. there aren't enough hours of the day. So I kind of did the the um, adjunct thing for a long time and got burnt out and got a different job. Mm. There was a nine to five, and um, my husband fortunately has uh, 
has had a very stable job this entire time. He's an attorney. He's really the one who like pays the mortgage. And then like, you know, cause even teaching, if you're doing it full time, is not, nothing. Uh, yeah, it's not great. Um, what, but then what happened with, with sinkhole, um, the money that I made from the option allowed me to quit my job. And so, yeah, uh, that freed me up. Um, so I have been calling myself a full-time writer for the last two years at this point. The funny caveat to that is that um, my son is a year and a half and we've never mm. had childcare for him. So I'm actually a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you're a, full, you're a full-time <laughs> mom who's doing yeah. writing on the side. Yeah, you quit, you quit teaching uh, adults to teaching uh, a young child. So Exactly, yeah. So um, and I have an, uh, a five-year-old as well, but she's, she's in preschool during the week. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so basically, but, but the money that I, that I made from, from that deal did you know allow me to to stop having to do the the nine to five racket and then um you know that's helped with being able to have time to to do all the work for publishing a book um and you know other writing and even doing things like this you can't be on a podcast in the middle of the day um if you're at the office so yeah you know i think that that the time element is is just tremendous and again if you're not getting paid for your work you're having to find time other places and that's challenging even still you know because i'm with the kids during the day i'm oftentimes writing at night and in a perfect world it wouldn't be that way someday they'll both be in school (laughs) yeah i know so you're you're kind of not giving yourself enough credit and i know that because in 2016 you you published a book uh i'm fine but you appear to be sinking and they're a collection of short stories that I love. And oh, the, the amount of work that goes into writing short stories that are that quality that can be put into a compilation and published as a book is so difficult. Uh, and it takes so much time. And you were still either in school or working a full-time job, possibly both, or juggling all the things in life and putting together these stories and editing them. So do talk about that because that's in, that's in 2016. So it's, it's a while back in the past and, and you've continued to refine your craft and, and make everything happen. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, thanks for your, your enthusiasm about the, the story collection. I forget that people have read it who aren't on the <laughs> Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> That's always exciting. I'm <laughs> like, you read my book? I mean, maybe yeah. I think I'm still just going to feel that way forever, even uh, even with the, the novel that I know will be yes. widely read. Yeah. Um, yeah. So about half of that collection I did write while I was in grad school. And that's part of what made um, the MFA program so wonderful for me was that it did sort of give me the, the time and the focus to write um, to say writing stories is my job. And I was working at the time I was, yeah. I was teaching as a, as a graduate student assistant, but you know, writing is really supposed to be your focus. And mm-hmm. about half of my thesis wound up being in the collection. And then after that, you know, I graduated with this, what felt like momentum to me. I was like, I'm going to finish this collection. Yeah. And I did over the course of the next couple of, of years, I think I had set a deadline for myself that I wanted it to be done within so many months of graduating. Um, but it was largely, you know, working at night, um, I did take kind of when I was teaching after graduation, I'd take like a lesser course load in the summer. And so I'd have these stretches of time where I could write. I actually sort of think back on that time when I was working on that collection as being like 
like, man, I had so much free time. Like, I remember, like, going for bike rides in the middle of the day and just, like, sitting in, in my office, like, being, like, I don't know, just sitting and, and writing stuff that ultimately never saw the light of day. Um, and I think it's just the shift between having kids and not having kids and thinking back to, to those, those days. Um, uh, so yeah, that actually felt like a much more leisurely process than uh, the way I've been working in recent times. Um, and then, you know, that, that collection was ultimately published by Featherproof Books um, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, which was a really nice, nice experience as yeah. well. Uh, so what, what is the process? Did you send the collection to small presses with just the intention of kind of similar to how we submit short stories a lot of times or? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, but the final answer is nepotism. Um, <laughs> All right. <Woo> <laughs> so, uh, when I felt like the collection was ready, I sent it to a few friends who yeah. are just readers of mine. And one of them was uh, a friend who I'd met, um, at the MFA program. His name's Jason Summer. And, he was working at the time just as a slush pile reader for Featherproof. And I sent it to him just because he had been a reader of mine. Yeah. Um, and I was like, hey, what do you, how do you feel about these stories? Whatever feedback you can give me, I'm thinking about starting to mm. send this out. And the feedback he gave me was, I think Featherproof might be interested in this. Can I pass it up the line and awesome. you know, send it on to the editors? And I was like, that's amazing. I would love that. Mm. And in the meantime, I continued to revise it and I did submit it sort of just, yeah, as you submit work to magazines, you know, through open reading periods to, to indie presses. Um, I tried to get an agent. Um, and what I learned is that it is very hard to get an agent if you are uh, a writer shopping your first book and that book is a story collection. But I did end up having some nice conversations with people. Um, but that's a, a hard road to go. So I, mm -hmm. I sort of figured out like, no, it's going to be, it's going to be with an indie and it's going to be, you know, something that's, that's getting picked up out of the slush pile or winning a contest. And I actually had, um, I was a finalist for a couple of contests, which was very validating. And uh, another indie press did ultimately make an offer on it. But by the time that happened, Jason had risen through the ranks. There you go. To, to being an editor himself and said, we're going to publish this book. That's um, great. And by the time it was published, he was editor in chief. And now he is the sole owner of Featherproof. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So in that span of time, like he went from being a reader for them to the yeah. guy. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. So it really was, you know, because of this friend who I'd made in graduate school and stayed close with, and we were reading mm -hmm. each other's work and he has wound up being just such a champion of, um, of my writing and then of this book that we made together. And yeah. I love the way it turned out. I loved working with him. It was, you know, this really wonderful experience of getting to have a friend as an editor. I want to, I want to stop and reflect something back to you and also to anybody listening right now. Um, you call this nepotism and I understand that inclination. I really do because um, many of my successes have come off the back of relationships that I've built in one place or another. The reality of that is that you are, uh, accidentally a good marketer. You're good at what you do. You've built friendships. And the way that you've built friendships is by being a kind and a generous person. Uh, you didn't make friends with Jason because uh, he thought that you were great on a skateboard or that your stories were super cool. You became friends because you had something of value to offer. And um, that value helped you to connect. And I know that, that we're going back to this idea of like money and nasty and transactional, but I don't see it that way. I just see that 
we naturally gravitate toward people that fill in pieces of our life that we need to be filled in that we can't fill in ourselves. And so your accidental marketing got you a book published and anybody listening should do the same thing. Be generous, be kind. Don't think about people as eventual connections. I made that huge mistake. In fact, uh, I got my story workshopped by a, a guy who came in. It was a friend of Sam Liggins, uh, who we both learned from at, at EWU. And the minute I found out that I was the guy who got my story workshop by the visiting writer, all I could think about was how do I make the most of this connection? And mm. he's generous. He's a nice guy, but it, it it's a lasting regret of mine that I didn't think of him as a person. Um, there's more to that story that I, I might uh, tell you offline, but it, it's uh, you're doing something very different than that. You actually cared about the people you were around. And that's the most important thing that we can do as writers is care about people and uh, try to offer of ourselves generously. So that's how that book got published, that you were a great marketer. <laughs> you know, I mean, you put that so, so nicely and it is true. It, it, it is, um, you're right. It is like nepotism is not actually the right word because Jason <laughs> is truly, he's truly a friend and it happened because we were, we're genuine friends. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, you know, I don't think of marketing as, as a skill of mine. Um, but I do like, I like the process of meeting people and I'm grateful for, for the friends that I've made through the MFA program, through other aspects of writing life. And it is, it's the greatest service you can do yourself for yourself is to, to yeah. make connections with, with folks who you do connect to. Um, and, you know, I always thought the term networking is just like the worst hell uh, that you can, yeah. can inflict on somebody. I think because I thought of it as forcing yourself into situations with people who you don't, wouldn't want to talk to otherwise. Um, but if you find people who you do want to talk to, then, then it's not really networking at all. It's just having yeah. a nice conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that if we can all think more about this whole process as a conversation, we do ourselves a favor. One thing I, I do want to ask you is that uh, your, your new book is coming out, um, Fire Season with Viking. So uh, that's part of the big five. It's a really big deal. I think everybody listening is aware that that's a big deal. It's really tough to get into uh, the big five. And I'm, I know that the stuff we talked about earlier has some to do with that. It also has a lot to do with the quality of the novel. Talk to me about what they're saying to you as much as you're able to on this piece of the, 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 the marketing. Um, how much are you going to have to do? How much do they set aside a budget for you? What, like, how clear is that delineation? Yeah, um, it's a good question. It's certainly something I was curious about making the transition from the, the indie world um, to Viking. Uh, and the good news for me um, is I'm asked to do very little. Uh, I have a, a wonderful publicist who sends me, you know, sort of opportunities. She'll be like, oh, um, this podcast has reached out to us. Do you want to be on it? This publication is wondering if you want to write something. This show is wondering if you want to, you know, go and do a reading. And I can say yes or no to those things. Um, but there has been almost no pressure for me to initiate anything on my own. Like, Great. they're like, we see you're not on social media. We'll handle that. Which <laughs> oh. I think is the right call. <laughs> there are um, a thousand authors right now who are just shaking their fist at you. <laughs> <laughs> No, like, I don't know. I have friends who have, I think, felt pressure to be, you know, their own brand and to be on social media when that is not their jam. You know, if the publicist puts stuff on like Vikings Twitter page, like a million people see it. Just let them do it. I'm not doing any good. 
Um, so it's been it's been a really nice experience so far and pretty mellow. We're still, uh, you know, three months out from mm -hmm. the book book's publication date. So we'll mm -hmm. see if things ramp up and what what more is asked of me. But right now, I've felt pretty uh, like it's pretty pretty chill so yeah. far. That is a really good experience to have. It can be challenging for some writers, even if they do get into the position you're in, sometimes the marketing budget's not necessarily there. And so you'll get, you'll get picked up with uh, one of the, the imprints and you're still expected to do a lot of that marketing. And so there are a lot of writers out there. There are a lot of authors out there who are kind of trapped in this place where they're like, okay, yes, I have the prestige of being with FSG or with Viking, wherever it might be but I'm, I'm kind of like, they're taking a long shot on me. And so they expect me to kind of throw it on my back and hump it up the, the mountain and get my bullhorn and start yelling. And I think what you say is really true. It is extremely challenging to be uh, not made for social media and to feel that you have to go out there and build a brand. I still won't use the word brand. Actually. I'm glad you brought that up because I hate the idea that I'm a brand. I don't consider myself a brand. So I started to use the word platform probably inappropriately, but I'm comfortable building a platform where people can come and talk to me. Being a brand is nasty. Yeah. It sounds gross, right? Like, like are you a bag of chips? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I, I'm, I'm really excited for you. I'm excited to read the book. It's a good point to mention that you can pre-order it right now. Um, pre-orders, yeah, pre-orders matter. So uh, you know you want to read the book. You should pre-order it right now. It will be at your door the day it's released. That's a super cool thing about uh, Viking. They'll do that for you. They'll make sure it shows up on your doorstep day one. You know, you might not be familiar with the sound a fox makes, but I bet you you could figure out what sound a book fox makes. All you have to do is navigate to www.thejohnfox.com, that's spelled J-O-H-N, thejohnfox.com, where you can find all kinds of great stuff like courses and editing, or if you want to just dip your toes in the water and get a feel for the great content that you can find there, read the blogs. Read the blogs. Blog is a tougher word to say than you realize. Go to www.thejohnfox.com, check out the blogs, get your toes in the water when you decide you want to dive in, check out the courses he offers to help you write the best book. To help you write the best possible novel. And then maybe when you have it finished, you want somebody to take a professional look at it. He's got editing services for you. Copy editing, content editing, children's books, short story editing. Whatever you need, you'll find it at www.thejohnfox.com. Yeah! You've mentioned burnout. This is a kind of a similar feeling as like, okay, I can't make a living off of my writing and teachings about the next closest thing I can visualize right now. Being as kind as you possibly can, give me the reason why maybe that's not the right idea for everybody who's passionate about writing as a career. Yeah, I think it is, um, you know, that's so interesting to bring that up uh, because it is, it's something that they get paired together, right? And it's mm -hmm. because we come out of an academic tradition if yeah. you go to an MFA program, you know, you're oftentimes teaching um, and it's seen as like these parallel paths of like you can write and you can teach. 
But for a lot of people, that's just not a good fit either because they don't really actually have an interest in being an academic and being a teacher or because of simply the weight that that work takes. Um, you know, for me, like I said, I, I really struggled to write and to teach at the same time, you know, when I was teaching a full load of classes. It's just so draining to, to be in the classroom and then to be reading student work, to giving feedback, and then to have energy for your own words. Um, I struggled, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people do. But that said, I have a number of friends who are academics, um, they are career teachers, and they produce a considerable amount of work. So for some folks, it's a great marriage, but for others, it's not. But I do think it's interesting that these careers are presented as they go hand in hand, when that's not the case for everybody at all. And I don't think it is for me. That said, I'm now in a position, you know, like I was talking about before, I've been on this, this hiatus from working. Um, uh, and I was able just this quarter, I've started uh, teaching um, the fiction workshop at the EWU MFA as, a, as an adjunct. And it's perfect. It's one class. It's in like the genre that I write in. Um, I don't have to stress about, oh, I need to teach four of these in order to, to make ends meet. Like, yeah. it's actually a really nice amount of engagement for me to go, you know, Great. one night a week and be with grad students and teach. Um, and so I do feel like that's sort of, sort of ideal at this stage, but you know, there's, there's, I think just no future for me where I'm like, gosh, I want tenure because I know it would always, always eat at that other time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Is that where we started? Yeah, you definitely answered. I, I don't actually imagine I could ever teach a workshop. I, it's not in <laughs> me to want to teach for whatever reason. Uh, I've been having conversations with different folks about even the idea of trading work and lately I don't, I, I know this is going to come across ungenerous and probably it is, but I don't want to read other people's work and development mm. um, because I really am focused on trying to get my work to that next stage where uh, we actually sell this thing. So, um, yeah. And I think there's, you know, what there's value in that too, of being able to say for yourself, like, this is where I'm at and this is what I'm, what I want to focus on, um, yeah. you know, and, and not feeling like you need to do all of the other things. Okay. So you have, uh, sinkhole and other uh, inexplicable voids coming out in 2023-ish. So that's going to be another collection of short stories, I believe. Yep. And then you have Fire Season, which comes out July 12th. Anybody who's interested in getting the OG can go get that right now. Um, you've expressed a preference for people to buy any of your books through uh, an independent bookseller. Mm -hmm. So I will make sure that I have links in my show notes for those. And I'll, I'll link in Amazon for people who accidentally click on it because I can make like 10 pennies <laughs> if somebody buys your yeah. copy through that affiliate link. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that your success is really inspiring. It's one of those that's so focused on the craft itself. And that's where we all want to be. We want to focus on the craft. And I hope that there's a world that exists for, for more and more people to do that uh, and not have to play both sides of, of being a brand and a writer. Um, so those can be two full-time jobs in and of themselves. I thank you so much for choosing to give me an hour of your time uh, very grateful. Oh, no, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, always exciting to see what other EWU alums are up to. This was nice. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was very nice.
Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. <laughs>